0: We are uh, in the last week that I will be um, preaching on the priesthood, or excuse me, on the word pictures of the church. So we've been in this series where we're looking at some of the word pictures and images of the church, and we've looked at quite a few. And this week I want to think about the idea of the priesthood, and as we go through, we've started this series even just trying to think, well, what is it that the church is supposed to be? And how does even the New Testament writers themselves describe what a church is? And some of the word pictures and images that they use. And even as we just recently, have, a few months ago, uh, you voted to bring me on as senior pastor, and I'll, sometimes the thinking when a new pastor comes on, and a lot of it can be, well, what, what are we going to do as a church? What are some of the new programs? What is it that we as a church are supposed to be doing? And one of my burdens and convictions is that before we can figure out what we as a church are supposed to do, we have to make sure we properly understand, well, what is it that we are? What has God made the church to be? Because once we understand what the church is and what the people of God are supposed to be, a lot of the doing then becomes very clear and starts to work itself out. And we will see then it's not that programs and doing things are bad, it's that we have to make sure that they flow out of a proper understanding of what the church is. And so we've looked at several of these word pictures of the church and in just a few weeks we'll move on to another series and get back to what will be our more normal typical pattern of just working. Our way through scripture and working our way phrase by phrase, verse by verse, through a book. But I wanted to start with this. And this will somewhat put a wrap on it for the ones that I've covered, but next week, Kevin Rue is going to come and g- give some context to everything that we've covered so far. And so if you've missed some of the sermons in this series, I'd even just encourage you, they're online, and you could catch some of those sermons that you've mixed, and uh, there'll be a bit of a wrap to some of it next week and give you a context or a lens to think through the things that we've covered so far. So for this week, I want to think about the priesthood. What does it mean in the verses that you just heard read where Peter says, and he's talking to Christians, and he's talking about the church, and in verse 5 he says that Christians are to be a holy priesthood. And then again in verse 9 he says that, that Christians are a royal priesthood so a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood what what is peter talking about here we looked at this passage a few weeks ago when we talked about the idea of the church being a temple and as living stones were being fashioned together into a building and that building is the temple and we want to come back to it because now here he's saying that christians are a priesthood so here's the truth before I jump too far into the passage, here's the truth is that for every believer who is here this morning, those of you that have come to the point in your lives where you've understood the gospel and you've understood that your sin separated you from a righteous and holy God, and that there was nothing you could do to restore that relationship, it was only through what Jesus Christ did on the cross by his sacrificial death to provide a covering and a forgiveness for your sins. That by faith and repentance, trusting in what Christ has done on the cross for you, you can then have eternal life. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have then again a right relationship with God. N- N- most of you here this morning at some point have heard those truths and perhaps come to a place and time in your life where you have understood it, you've made it personal, you've called out to God by faith and trusted in Him for salvation. Some here this morning have yet to do that, and so I want you to be thinking and listening, because later on I'm going to ask, what have you done with Jesus? That truth of the gospel? What have you done with Jesus? But for the Christians that are here this morning, for the members of Shawnee Baptist Church, here's what I want you thinking about this morning. What does it mean that we're a priesthood? What does it mean that you individually are a priest? What 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 does that truth then mean to your life? Most of us uh, that are Christians know and understand the truth of the gospel that I just walked through, but now what does it mean that you're a part of the priesthood, like Peter says? So what impact is that supposed to make in your life? What impact should it have made as you showed up in church this morning? I want you to be thinking about that. And a secondary question is this. If the truth that I just described of the gospel, that you can come to a point in your life where you trust in Christ for the salvation, for forgiveness of your sins, if you know and understand the gospel and that, that uh, making that decision to trust in Christ for salvation, then do you even need the church? I mean, if you can have a right relationship with God individually, if you can trust in Christ for salvation, why show up every week? Why do we put ourselves together in churches? Is the church even important? Now, my guess is that you can, you can rightly surmise that by the fact that I've chosen to devote a major portion of my life to working in a church, that yes, I believe the church is important. Why? And why is it that the priesthood of the believer especially helps us understand that? Because what I want to do this morning before I get too far into First Peter before I talk about the priesthood, I want to go back up in history and go back to the beginning of Scripture and walk through to understand the priesthood as Peter is talking about. We need to understand, well, what, what were priests in the Old Testament? What were priests for the nation of Israel and what did they do? And I want to walk through some of that history that will bring us up to the cross and then we'll look at, well, what was Jesus Christ, our great high priest, and what did he do for us? And what does that do to the priesthood, and why does Peter now say that we're priests but then I even want to keep going forward in church history a little bit and get up to the time of the Reformation and just understand some of the truths that the reformers helped recover about the priesthood of the believer. And so that's some of the history that I want to walk through that will then bring us back to 1 Peter and we'll understand a little bit more of what it means when he says that we as a, as a church are a priesthood, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, and some implications then for you in terms of why you came to church this morning. For us as Shawnee Baptist Church, that's, that's where I want to cover this morning in the roadmap to get there. So follow along with the history. For those of you that are here this morning and you understand the gospel and you have understand some Sunday school knowledge of the history of the Bible, my overview is hopefully helping to put some pieces of the puzzle into place. If you're here this morning and you don't understand scripture well, keep following. Uh, uh, Don't get lost because I want you even to think about what, what is Jesus and what is it that you have done with him. So do you even need the church? If you can trust If you can make a decision to trust in Christ for salvation, do you even need the church? Do you need the structure and the assembly of of people gathering together? And why is it that God has this system and structure? And one of the things that I want you to see throughout scripture is that from the very beginning, God has always had a system or a structure for his people to relate to him, for his people to have a relationship with him. This is where the priests are going to tie in. But I want you to think about it from Genesis at the very beginning. When Adam and Eve are placed in the garden and everything is perfect and creation is as it should be, how does Adam relate to God? Face to face. The relationship is perfect. If the function of a priest is to stand before God, that's one of the functions of a priest, Adam was able to do that face-to-face and have perfect fellowship with God. And so Adam had a priestly function and a priestly role in the sense of having a right communion and fellowship with God, but sin quickly entered the picture and broke that face-to-face communication. No longer could Adam relate to God in a face-to-face formal way. And yet that did that didn't stop God relating to his people and so quickly God provides a way of sacrifices and a way for people to have a relationship with God and a way for God to commune with his people and so as families enter the picture God provides a way for them to commune with him and so you think of Cain and Abel as they offered sacrifices Noah himself offered sacrifices on behalf of his family and there was a way for people to relate to God and there was still a system and structure in place even though the formal offer Office of priest hadn't been introduced yet into Old Testament pictures, there was still a way for the people to relate to God. And Cain and Abel, you saw how well or not well that worked, even in their story, as they started to mess that up well as as Scripture keeps going and the history unfolds then you see God reserve for himself a people call out a people through the person of Abraham and he says I'm going to make a special nation out of you and God makes his covenant with Abraham and he's going to institute a system and a structure for the way that those Israelites could have a right relationship with a God with God a way for them to commune with God and one of the things that would need to happen is for there to be priests put in place so before I talk about the function of those priests, Priests, there's another sense in when, you, when you look at this that you say the whole nation of Israel itself was to function as a priesthood. In fact, the verses that you heard read from 1 Peter chapter 2 is borrowing some of the language from the book of Exodus. So if we go to Exodus chapter 19 and here's how it's said there. And again, speaking to the whole nation, not just the class of priests, which I'm about to go to next, but speaking to the whole nation as get, Excuse me, as God makes his covenant with Moses and the people of Israel here, he says this, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And the holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And as God passes down his instructions, the whole nation of Israel was supposed to function as a kingdom of priests. As we went to Psalm 67 at one point this summer, and there was a prayer for blessing that the nations might know who God is. And God was going to work through Israel to help mediate his presence and make make his name known among the nations. And Israel was supposed to function in that way, except they didn't follow God as well well as they should and they ended up in captivity you heard me tell uh, um, our our children this morning about Joel who had messages of repentance once things started going awry and uh, you'll you'll catch and know and understand that in one sense the whole nation was supposed to serve as priests but in an individual sense there was a a more select group that in an institutional structural way there there was a class of priests So you might be an Israelite. You might be a child of Abraham. But it was only the Levites who could function as priests and specifically the ones who were in the line of Aaron. And so if you wanted to commune with God, if you wanted to be with God or have your sins atoned for, if you wanted to offer sacrifices before God, in the, in the sense that you and I have today where we can experience God and worship him in spirit and in truth, they didn't have that same access to God. They had to go through a priest. If the function of a priest was to stand before God, another function of the priest was to stand before God on behalf of men, to be a mediator, to be a go between. The priest had. A limited access to God that that the just simply the people of Israel didn't have and so whether you were going to the tabernacle or later on as the permanent temple was put into place and if you wanted to have that relationship with God and to be able to experience his presence first of all you couldn't ever fully experience the presence of God that was reserved for God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies made by human hands You heard some of that scripture earlier in Hebrews 9 to start the service. And and, and only one time a year could the high priest enter into the very presence of God with, with animal blood to sprinkle on the altar to provide an atonement, a covering for sins. And that only happened one time a year. And that was only if you were the high priest and the rest of the priests were out in other places in the courtyard and the people didn't have access to the holy of holies they didn't even have access to the uh, the limited areas that the priests could get into but you if you were an israelite had an ability to offer sacrifices for your sins to offer praise sacrifices but all of that had to go through a priest And so if you were a priest, it was a special privileged place to be able to stand before God on behalf of men and offer these sacrifices. But you were still in a rotation. Only when you were assigned your duty could you then stand before God. And so for centuries, this goes on. And this is the way that God's people relate to him. They have to relate to him through priests. And as I said, the nation ends up in captivity. The, the, The priests don't function as they should. The people don't respond to the prophets as they should, the kings don't lead as they should, and this system and this structure begins to break down, and you see it in decay, and the people are waiting for a Messiah, they're waiting for a Savior, they're waiting for uh, someone who could come and make it right again. And so that brings us up to uh, Jesus' life. And the New Testament then begins to record Jesus of Nazareth who comes onto the scene, and he is the one they've been waiting for, though not everybody recognizes it because they expected a Messiah who would come and would provide political overthrow. And and that wasn't Jesus' mission on earth at this time. He comes to show them that they need a a once-for-all sacrifice for their sins. He comes to show them how they need a, a, a mediator that will provide a permanent sacrifice. And that is why the book of Hebrews then speaks of Jesus, our great high priest. And you heard Hebrews chapter 9, 11 through 14 to start the service. So let me show you a few verses later in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. Here is what Jesus Christ did when he shows up on the scene. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands which are copies of true things. He's not a priest going into the Holy of Holies once a year that was made by human hands. Instead, he goes into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He, he stands before God on behalf of men. Look at verse 25. "'Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly "'as the high priest enters the holy places "'every year with blood not his own.'" Verse 26, "'For when he would have had to suffer repeatedly "'since the foundation of the world, "'but as it is, he has appeared once for all "'at the end of the ages "'to put away sin by the sacrifice.'" of himself this is what jesus christ accomplished on our behalf and then just a few verses later in chapter ten verse eleven and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins verse twelve But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is what the true high priest did. This is what Christ accomplished when he came to this earth and he died on the cross. His blood, an eternal blood, not the blood of goats and animals, uh, but a blood that that, uh, provided a once-for-all payment for sins so that when Christ was done, his role as the high priest and mediating between us and God is a final, complete, finished role. This is then the truth that for us who realize our sin, and we need our sin taken care of, there has to be a sacrifice to give us a right relationship with God. There's no human priest that can go between us and God in an eternal, permanent sense. Jesus Christ accomplished it once for all with the eternal sacrifice and he sat down to show that his work was finished. This then is why when Christ died on the cross, if you remember in the way it worked in the temple, there was a, a thick veil, an extremely thick woven fabric curtain that hung to separate the Holy of Holies so that no one uh, would enter that to shield the presence of God. And only the high priest once a year could enter that. So when Christ died, that curtain was torn top to bottom. It's torn in two. Why? Because now we have access to God through the work of Jesus Christ. And now we ha- are a, a royal priesthood. We have that same access to God that was only reserved for a special class of people in the Old Testament. Now there's no dividing line. Now there's no distinguishing characteristic for believers in the New Testament age. There is no special class of New Testament Christian that has better access to God and stands before God on behalf of men. We are all priests. And Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he leaves and he says that he will establish his church on these truths. And uh, as he ascends back to heaven, the church continues, the church multiplies, and, and churches are established and disciples are built up. And for a while, this truth is understood. But as you start going into history of the church, as you start going through the centuries, you realize that they begin, they again begin to misunderstand the priesthood. And they again begin to misunderstand that distribution of power and authority until you come to the time of the Reformers, which last year we were, uh, gave you a few bulletin inserts just remembering some of the history of the things that took place in uh, how God used the lives of the Reformers. And last year we especially commemorated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Last Sunday, in a technical sense, would have been Reformation Sunday to again, once again, remember some of these truths. What was it that God awakened in the hearts of some of these reformers? Because what you had seen happen, that in the, church, in the, uh, uh, in the Catholic Church that was there together, you would have seen then that power had again centralized and there was a special class of people. There were priests Priests had a special access that the common layperson didn't have. At least that was the truth that was taught. And in fact, all the power centralized in the person of the Pope. And the Pope himself had the ability to excommunicate people from the church, which was not just tied to an affirmation of salvation like our understanding of excommunication. It was actually tied to salvation itself. And that the Pope single-handedly could banish someone to hell. Well, Martin Luther and some of the other reformers realized and understood this is a misapplication of the priesthood of the believer. Going to places like 1 Peter and in other scriptures to realize what it was that Christ had done, they realized all Christians have this access to God. There is not a special special classification of people that stand before God as priests and mediate on behalf of men. Listen to some of the words of Martin Luther as he tried to explain Some of these things in his writings. That the Pope or the bishop anoints, ordains, or consecrates, or dresses differently from the laity may make a hypocrite or an idolatrous oil painted icon, but it in no way makes a Christian or a spiritual human being. In fact, we are all consecrated priests through baptism as Saint Peter in 1st Peter 2 9 says you are a royal priesthood and a priestly kingdom and in Revelation 5 10 through your blood you have made us priests and kings some of the reformers didn't understand why is this there this divide between the clergy and the laity, between the the priest in the employ of the church and the common person coming to worship. And, And they said, this just makes no sense in the priesthood of the believer. When we come to Christ, we are all priests. We all have this access to God. And it was his burning passion and desire to get the word of God into the hands of people because he knew and correctly understood scripture that all believers have access to God and can understand his word. He he again, speaking of the class of priests, he's going to, another quote here where he's talking about them and they, and he's talking about priests and the church leadership, how then, if they are forced to admit that we are all equally priests, as many of us as are baptized, and by this way we truly are, while to them is committed only the ministry? and consented to by us, if they recognize this, they would know that they have no right to exercise power over us. Except in so far as we have granted it to them. For thus it says in First Peter two: You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a priestly kingdom. In this way, we are all priests, as many of us as are Christians. Here was Martin Luther's point: is that every believer who understands the gospel in Christ has this same ministry and ability to minister the word to one another, to speak the truths of God to one another, to, to. Uh, to act as a priest who stands before God and ministers in this way, not in the sense of removing sin, but in the sense of ministering to one another. Why is it, he's saying, that we reserve ministry for this paid professional class? That doesn't make sense, His his point. And so they helped to recover some of these truths that in Ephesians 4 sense, it's the saints who are doing the work of the ministry and ministering to one another and building up the saints, right? And so even though last week, in the idea of the flock analogy. I said that we as a church, we do set aside some elders and we say, these are the men that we will follow. These are the men who are leading us. It's not because they are a special class of people with more access to God. No, we all as believers are priests and the New Testament does encourage us that we need to set aside and ask some to lead us, but it's not because they're a special class of people. It's because we recognize God has gifted them as such, and uh, then we as a people follow. And so this is some of the truth then that we need to understand when it comes to the priesthood and the idea that we as believers are priests, what is it that that helps us understand? Come back now to 1 Peter chapter 2. In First Peter chapter 2, Peter is speaking and he's trying to explain some of these truths that this is what it means to follow God. This is, this is how they as Christians are supposed to live in the world. And he says this in verse 4, As you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones. Like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip those verses and come to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see what Peter is doing? He's talking to them about how God is fashioning them. He's forming them. He's shaping them into a building, a temple, like living stones with each one in their place. And then right there in midstream, he stops and he says... He's no longer talking about the building. He's talking about the people and saying, you're a royal priesthood you're a holy priesthood in in the same way that a priest in the Old Testament would mediate God's presence to the people of Israel no longer do we as a priesthood we we no longer offer sacrifice for sins that's been once for all Jesus Christ accomplished that but we as a people now minister to one another sacrifices for sins was not the only function of a priest in the Old Testament there were sacrifices of thanksgiving there were sacrifices of praise and so Here comes the truth then that Peter is helping them to understand that they now as believers minister as a priesthood continuing to offer spiritually acceptable sacrifices on behalf of God and it ministers to one another. So you and I together, the church together, the believers together function as priests helping one another see God. Ministering to one another on behalf of God. God has revealed Himself to us in His Word and helps us understand that. So, what is the fact that you are the truth of the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you're a member of Shawnee Baptist Church, what does that truth do to you as you come to church this morning? It should, in your mind, There should be a monumental shift that you don't come to church on Sunday morning to be ministered to, but in order to minister. There's a huge distinction. Now on the one hand, granted, I hope that you are ministered to and scripture speaks of the benefits of gathering with brothers and sisters corporately and there should be a sense that you're ministered to. But what I'm talking about here is what is your, what's your driving focus in being at church this morning and what do you see as your function and role? We we as Christians don't come to church to be ministered to, we come to minister And that has a huge impact on the way we view our time together because it's so easy especially in our individualistic western society where consumerism reigns uh, that we would flip this and we would seek out churches and attend churches and switch from one church to another based on some of these ideas that we feel the purpose of the church is for us to be ministered to And that can quickly get subverted and it can quickly lead into dangerous ways of thinking so I have I have a book by Jonathan Lehman who was a professor that I took uh, a class on on the church and it's called the rule of love how the local church should reflect God's love and authority and he writes about this idea of individualism and the way it creeps into churches and also consumerism so let me start and read two paragraphs what happens when instead of coming to church to minister we expect to be ministered to and if we don't understand this idea of priesthood, what happens when consumerism begins to take root in the heart and minds of a church and people? Here's what it does. It says, it believes, consumerism believes that size matters, that performance is what counts. Does the church put on a good show? A successful church service is one that produces a spiritual high or a mountaintop experience. Growth is counted through decisions made, not through quote, a long obedience in the same direction, end quote, to borrow a phrase, statistics and other short-term measurements are all important. We're no longer duped into worshiping carved figures, but statistical figures do impress us. A- a- and we, as, a, a, as I'm going to step outside the church, in our individualistic Western society of consumerism, there is a fast food chain that has been built on the theme have it your way, Right? That if you don't want the pickles, you don't need them on your hamburger, right? And, that, and we, we get really good at what do people want, let's give it to them. If that will get people in the doors, if this program will help people be here, then that's what we provide and churches fall prey to that. Now what I said... Programs are not wrong. We all have to have platforms for the word, ministries and programs that help minister God's word to God's people, but we have to understand the driving force behind it. What does individualism look like in the church? What does individualism look like? He says this When we love individualistically, the church becomes a place to grow in self realization and self expression. Can I connect with the pastor? Does the music appeal to me emotionally? We come. Listen to the music, listen to the preaching, look around at the other people. Do they look like me? Will I be comfortable with them? And then, on the drive home, offer an evaluation of everything we've seen. I like the music, except the one song. The preacher wasn't very funny. Did you know Amens? Did you see any programs for teenagers? We rate our experience rather than search our hearts. We judge the church rather than letting God's word judge us. And this is easy to creep into the life of a church. That rather than being a people who say, you know what? We love Jesus. We love his word. We have gathered together to submit ourselves to his teaching and his word. We quickly become a people who want an experience A mountaintop high a change my life in three weeks kind of thing when the the pattern in reality of following Christ in the New Testament is week after week slowly being conformed by God's Word through his spirit to match what Scripture says and so we should be a people who gladly come together and we say you know what I don't need everything to be about my tastes and my desires I'm here to minister my goal in showing up this morning is to, as a priest, minister uh, on behalf of God to my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. And you can intentionally do some of this as, as we are dismissed here this morning and you will go your separate ways and some of you will gather in the hallways and there can be the sense that you say intentionally, I want to encourage this brother today with these words. I want to seek out this sister and speak truth into her life. I know she was struggling with this area. And just saying, I came this morning not to have my heart stirred by how I was ministered to but because I want to minister to others, because I realize that in God's eyes, together, uh, through the truth of the priesthood of the believer, that we seek to minister to one another. Well, what are some of these sacrifices and ways that we minister to one another? In verse 5 of 1 Peter 2, he says, uh, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there's spiritual sacrifices that we can, can offer. Verse 9 begins to explain one of these. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Telling others about who God is and what he has done and proclaiming these excellencies is one of the ways that we minister to one another, both to believe and to unbeliever in evangelistic sense. If you were to go through the New Testament, you're going to see other ways that this language of living and offering spiritual sacrifices, this is your job as a priest in the church. Romans chapter 12 talks about our very life being lived as a sacrifice in service to God, which is your reasonable service or spiritual worship. 2 Corinthians 9 talks about giving generously to meet needs in the body. Uh, Hebrews talks about let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually that is the fruit of our lips so these thanksgiving praise speaking words that are for the building up of the body there would be other others that i haven't covered that these are some of the ways that we show up as a body and we minister to one another and we say i want to be involved in ministering to one another not just in being ministered to of course all throughout the new testament Intercessory prayer on behalf of one another is one of the ways that we minister as priests and would be important in our lives. And one of the things that you'll notice in this idea of the priesthood of the believer, as Peter goes through his list, it's always in the plural, always. It's together we are the priesthood of the believer, so no, you cannot be this solo individual Christian out there that though you understand the truth of the gospel, if, you, if, if there are good churches around you and you for whatever reason have no desire to plug into that, the priesthood of the believer is not a doctrine that, that, that protects you and your solo mindset that it's you and Jesus and you don't need the church. That, that truth is not in here. It's together. I need you. You need me. And so that should play into our decisions of being together and joining and supporting the body i need to keep moving for sake of time i I said that i want to ask you about what is it that you have done with jesus this truth of the priesthood of the believer all centers and revolves around the person of jesus i've skipped over verses six and nine so let me come six through eight let me come back to them Verse 5, For you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the head of the body of Christ, as we have talked about And Peter is saying that Jesus is the central truth whom all of this revolve around. He is the cornerstone and those who believe in him will not be put to shame on the final day of judgment. There's this truth of forgiveness and eternal life. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those of you who do not believe... And this is where I ask you, what have you done with the person of Jesus? For those of you who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I want to plead with you this morning that the truth of everything we're talking about, about what the church is, it all centers on the person of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. And for those of you that believe, there is this great hope that that the central truth of the gospel will provide eternal life and forgiveness but if you're here this morning and you've never placed your trust in Christ and the truth of who he is and what he's done if that's something you stumble over and can't get past and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ there's judgment coming and and if you're here this morning and you're new to Christianity and you're searching this out I want to proclaim that truth to you that you need to turn to christ i want to speak some words of warning that are not to you this morning if you're searching if you've been here a couple times and you're trying to, to seek this out if you're listening online and you're seeking christ the words of warning i'm not going i'm about to say are not to you I, I want to say some words of warning to those that have been in the church for years who know the truth of jesus christ who know the truth of the gospel and perhaps you are here week after week month after month because you enjoy the fellowship of the church You enjoy uh, the status that being in a group of people give to you. You enjoy some of the, the intellectual things about the church. But if you have never turned to Jesus Christ and repented of your sins and forgiveness, do not kid yourself in thinking that you're a part of the church. That's not what the church is. We gather every week. Yes, we fellowship. Yes, we form relationships. But the truth of the church is the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, in that all who turn from their sins and place their faith and trust in him, those are the ones that will find eternal life and forgiveness. And so that's the truth of Christ. What is it that you have done with Christ? As one commentator said it this way, Christ is laid across the path of humanity on its course into the future. In the encounter with him, each person is changed. One for salvation. Another for destruction. One cannot simply step over Jesus to go on about the daily routine and pass him by to build a future. Whoever encounters him is inescapably changed through the encounter. Either one sees and becomes a living stone or one stumbles as a blind person over Christ and comes to ruin, falling short of one's creator and redeemer and thereby of one's destiny. The truth of why we gather as a people and as a church is all on the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us in the gospel. And that's a truth that you have to come to grips with. And if if somehow you're here for other reasons that aren't Jesus, well, then you're not a part of the church even if we think you are. And and I would encourage you to come to grips with that truth. So for us as a people, for us as Christians as we gather, we're a priesthood, holy priesthood. We come together on Sundays not to be ministered to, though I hope you are when you're here. Our our primary purpose in gathering uh, and being a part of the church and the truth that we are a priesthood is that we minister to one another. So let's grow in that task and let's continue to grow in seeking to put the interests of others first and let us not slip into such an easy consumeristic individualistic mindset that will be the death of many churches in the decades to come. Let that not be true of us. So let me step away from the priesthood. Let me talk just for a second about this series. We've looked at several things. We've talked about how we're a body. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And Christ is the head of that body. We're a building. We're living stones being shaped and fashioned into a temple which helps mediate, which is God's design and purpose for the church, that it would mediate God's presence to a lost and dying world around us and to one another. And we function as priests in that temple. We've talked about the idea of being the bride of Christ and that we recognize Christ is... Purifying us and sanctifying us and setting us aside as a special people. That we, that we as a, a, a people are a company of soldiers involved in a spiritual war. We've also talked about the fact that we are a flock of sheep, and the chief shepherd has appointed under shepherds. And we've talked about all of these realities. And hopefully there has been truths that you have seen that it's yes, this is what the church is. This is what the people are supposed to be. And my encouragement and prayer is, is not, we will have to address, well, what are we going to do as a church in, in months to come and as years go by and we, we, there's nothing wrong with programs. We need to be doing things, but it's got to be flowing out of who we are as a people. The church primarily is not about what we do. It's primarily about who we are that we are a people who have committed to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. We've committed our lives to help one another live out an appropriate Christ-honoring life. That if we believe this is who Jesus is, and we believe this is how the people who follow Jesus live, we're going to help one another in that. And we've committed to that. Because we want to represent God well to the world around us and faithfully proclaim his truth. Now, If you have been paying attention at all over these last weeks, my guess is that there are points of tension that have been raised that it's, wait a minute, you say that's what the church is, but my past experience and what you say don't measure up. Uh, whether it's an experience at this church or another church, or you say, I, I've been hurt by the church, or why is it that if you say this is what the church is, but there's a gap between what the truth of Scripture says a church should be and the reality of what I've experienced in my life. Anybody feel that tension? Good. I'm not going to solve it. Next week... Kevin Rue is going to come, and part of where he wants to go is what do we do with this gap? Uh, What do we do with the fact that that it doesn't always play out the way that that we've seen here? There's some things that aren't working the way we should. All your tensions will be resolved next week. No pressure. (laughs) I hope it's been an encouragement to think about pictures of the church and images and what God has created us to be. Uh, it, it's a joy to think about and to think of the, the overwhelming patience of God that he's working on us to make us the people he wants us to be. Let's, let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would encourage our hearts with the truth of who you are and what it is that you do in scripture. Lord, we, we want to show up each week and minister to one another. And I thank you for the truth that that there is no special class of people in the New Testament age that has access, a special access to you. All believers have direct access into your throne. That's why we may come boldly into your presence and we are grateful for it. Help us to be the church that we ought to be. Keep working on us, shaping us, molding us. I ask and pray in Christ's name, amen.